You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So we're beginning, um, this is actually week two of our summer playlist series in the book of Psalms. Um, I was reflecting that, you know, when, where, when did we come up with the term playlist? Like, where did that come from? And would have been back when Top 40 Radio was actually first coming into vogue, that there was a playlist. So you just kind of heard the Top 40 songs kind of in rotation, which means you missed out on a lot of songs, actually. Um, but you got the Top 40. And then, actually, though, in 2001, Steve Jobs blew all that up with iPods, right? And then we created our own playlists of, of whatever number of songs that we liked and we put. And it actually became an interview question. Uh, you don't hear it as much anymore now as you used to, but what's on your playlist, right, used to be it. And so it's a good question as we even turn this summer into the Psalms is, is what's on your playlist, right, in terms of Scripture? All, Timothy says that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for um, learning and rebuke and those kind of, or there it is, to all Scripture is God-breathed used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So all of scripture is valuable. We end up gravitating to certain things. When I look through, I've had this rebound. I don't, I don't remember how long I've had this Bible, um, but I've, I've preached a lot out of this Bible, and I've got a lot of notes in this Bible and scribbles in this Bible, but none more than I have in the book of Psalms. Um, there are even Psalms in there that will have just a date by it. And and now I'm wondering, if, I, if it was that important for me to date it, why wouldn't I have written why I dated it, right? But, but I just know, at least I know I got a date in there. Oh, that one was important to me at some point in time, right? And I got a lot of scribbles. And, and so Psalms, even though like all of, all of Scripture is very, very important, um, Psalms ends up being high on my playlist. Psalms is the most quoted uh, Old Testament book in the New Testament. More quotes come from the Psalms. In fact, Jesus quotes the Psalms more than he quotes any other passage of scripture. Um, uniquely followed by Deuteronomy. So I don't know what that tells you, right? We're gonna have to put in a little bit more Deuteronomy into our Psalms. Uh, Deuteronomy and then Isaiah and then Exodus is where Jesus quotes. But Psalms is a good place to land over a summer. And I told you last week because what it does, the, the compiler of the Psalms put this together for Israel in exile. So it was to tell of a history of a people and, 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 and the history of a person we get in here too. David writes 73 of these Psalms. So that very, very pointedly, I, I said this, I'm, I'm skipping some stuff for you back there, um, but maybe not. The value, um, yeah, let's go to this, this slide here. God's past faithfulness. Can you get there? There's probably four slides in. God's past faithfulness cements his future faithfulness regardless of present circumstance. And what I've added to this week is God is worthy of praise for who he is, for what he did, is doing, and will do. This is where the Psalms land us. Psalm 1, the, the psalmist, uh, it, it's kind of an introduction, I told you. Psalm 1 and 2 is an introduction. It brings out two very particular points. The point number one of Psalm 1 is if you make God's word in his ways, if you meditate on those, they will be a blessing to you. They'll be a partner of blessing. This is what Psalm 1 is giving us. It's kind of giving us a heads up as you head into all these Psalms that if you will meditate on God's word and his ways, then there would be blessing. 
Psalm, Psalms 2 kind of brings the futility about feeling like you're in control or even the fallacy of someone else is in control, right? Because Psalm 2 kind of points to this. I framed it this way. Um, don't attach your hope to the present. A messianic king is in the future, right? So uh, instead of allowing circumstance to dictate um, moves, V, or moods, D, that recognize that our present circumstance isn't, isn't in control. There is a messianic king in the future, and those are the things that they teach us. Then Psalm five, the last five psalms form this conclusion of the psalm. Um, anybody speak Hebrew? All right, so that means that you can't challenge me on any of my pronunciations. Um, but, but each of the five last five psalms, they begin with Hallel Yah, and they end with Hallel Yah, praise the Lord, or Hallelujah, and in the last, the last words of Psalm 150 before Hallel Yah is let everything that has breath praise the Lord. What a great last line of 150 Psalms. Let everything that has breath look over the course of history, look over the course of your history, and both your history and the history has a lot of mountaintops and a lot of bottoms and a lot of in-between. And yet the compiler of the Psalms looks at all that and still comes to the very same conclusion. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It might be easier to praise the Lord when things are clicking than it is when they're clucking. <laughs> but everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's an acknowledgement again of who he is, who we are in relation to that as well. Um, so the, so the, the psalmist, the compiler of the psalms lands at this place that everything that has breath, praise, praise the Lord, regardless of circumstance of what you've gone through. And the question today is, because the Old Testament saints of old landed here, the New Testament saints of old landed there. So the question today is, how do we land there? How can we land at the same place? That everything that has breath Praise the Lord. How do, we, how do we land there? Well, some, t some of the ways that we land in places that we're unfamiliar with is we watch other people land there, right? It's the, it's the farmer's uh, insurance commercial. They know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two, right? And so you want to look at who, who, who has walked this, what conclusion have they come to, and can I, can, I, can I relate to that? Can it correlate? And this is kind of where we begin to learn where, we, where to land, okay? And so today's psalm is Psalm 139. It is a psalm of David, and it will demonstrate not just where David landed, but why he landed there. I, I, I don't know the context of David's writing this particular psalm, but when you read through this psalm, your mind's gonna go, like, if you can kind of somehow put your your your, your, your your person in his place of just watching this kind of revelation kind of explode in David's mind. All right, so I'm going to be reading this passage, but I'm going to actually ask you to engage your right brain before your left brain. I've learned that you can't engage both sides of your brain at the same time. If you're going to engage your right side of your brain, you can't engage your left side of the brain. If you're going to engage your left side of the brain, you can't engage your right side of the brain, which means most of the time, all of us are half wits. Is what all right. so, so I want you to engage your right side of the brain and I want you to count. I'll, I'll kind of give you the fingers too. I'm going to count the personal, the personal pronouns in this passage. 
okay? The personal pronouns. Um, so it says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me. 23. 23. Brennan, you checking my math? Brennan's got me. 23. All right, here's verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even in the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is a light to you. 20. Now we're up to 43. So I broke it in segments for some of the math challenged. In there. For, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days adorned for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. 24. 67 different kind of very personal pronouns between the psalmist David and God out of 321 words in that passage. The, the Hebrew for know is used seven times and then other variations of that. The, the Hebrew is yada, or at least that's how it looks to me, Y-A-D-A, to know. It is, it is a very intimate word. It's the, it's the word used throughout Scripture when it would speak about an intimate relationship between a husband and a wife, and say they, they knew one another. It speaks to that kind of intimate relationship. All right? But it's, it's far deeper than a sexual relationship. Um, it, it goes to mean uh, deeply respected, deeply known. Um, it signifies a deep sense of intimacy, vulnerability, and connection with two people. It, so, so this is how you can see how even, even sex relates in marriage because it's so much different than just a, 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 a physical uh, activity. It, 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 there's a deep, intimate, vulnerable um, place that it ushers you into. It, it's why scripture reserves this and says that, 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 that is, that's such a tender, vulnerable place that marriage is the only thing that can adequately protect it in you. That's deep, isn't it? That this is the same. You, you are so exposed, you're so vulnerable um, that that the setting in which you're safe with that is in marriage. 
And this is how we are to know our spouses. And interesting enough, and if it doesn't weird you out, I mean, this is the word he uses for how he knows us. In our most vulnerable states, in the most open states, this is the depth of his knowledge. So when I talk a lot about it here, you're known and loved by God, I'll always kind of um, tag onto that, is that he knows you better than anybody knows you, and he loves you. And there's things about all of us that we wish people didn't know, and we try very hard for people not to know, right? Because we're afraid that if they know that, if they know that, it's going to change the way they feel about us, right? And so we hide that. And yet God knows all of that, and he comes to the same conclusion that he loves us. I always love watching dating couples because dating is, dating is designed to hide your worst things, right? It's the, it's the hide your habits. It's the, like how long can I actually keep this up that they don't know really know this about me, right? It's why, why Gene and I, our, our, our engagement time was nine months, meaning from the time I met her to the time I married her, it was nine months. I didn't want to give her you know, any undue time right? To actually recognize this is not going to be the best decision for you, right? But, but, <laughs> but n- n- being known by God, this is, this is the intimate nature. Now, we're going to read it again, and I'm going to let you engage your left brain, but I wanted to engage your right brain first to see how much David, how, how he went to these links, describe what has been described in theological circles as the I-thou relationship. Now, a Jewish theologian named Buber, I believe is how it pronounced it, he, he, in 1923, he wrote a book called I, Thou. And, and his, his, um, his conviction was that you, you come to this I, Thou relationship to God in deep conversation. And, and, that's, and that's presupposed against what he called the I, It the I-it relationship. The I-it is, is when you're in relationship with someone, but it's about what you get from them. Okay? It's about what you get. What can you do for me? What can you do for me? That's the I-it. And he's saying the I-thou relationship is, is, is what we want to come to in relationship with God because this is how we recognize he knows us. And when we, and when we get that and we start responding back to him like he has that intimate knowledge of us, and we start gaining that intimate knowledge of him, here is the mind-blown position of your relationship with God. There's transitions in our relationship with God of understanding. There's no doubt many times it starts as an I-it. And, you, and it's easy for it to get, fall into an I-it, right? And here's how, you, here's how you know it if it's falling into I-it. When you say, well, God, if you don't do this, then. Or if God doesn't do this, then this is how I'm going to think about him. That's... That is not yet getting into an I-thou. An I-thou relationship would say, regardless of how this turns out, he's still faithful. I still trust him. Right? So the I-thou is that, I, yes, I pray for outcomes. I want outcomes. I can be very specific in the outcomes I want. But when my relationship with God comes to a place where it's not impacted by outcomes, that's when we start having an intimate relationship with God because our trust goes beyond what we can see. It goes beyond what we can feel in the moment. And it gets us in touch with him and his faithfulness. That's why his past faithfulness cements us in the, in the future, in the present, regardless of what the circumstances go on. All right, that's the I-thou relation. Here's how significant of a groundbreaking work that was. This, 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 um, 
This language made, made its way into the social sciences. Okay, so here is, a, um, here is an I-thou relationship definition from the APA Dictionary of Psychology. It says, it denotes a relationship in which a subject, I, treats someone or something else as another unique subject, thou. The I-thou relationship allows for full empathy between subjects that can be transformative in contrast to the I-it relationship, which objectifies the other. And in fact, in this particular social science, the breakthrough that a, that a psychologist or a psychiatrist would feel with their subject and the subject with them is when they break out of an I-it into an I-thou. And then that professional then knows, all right, we've got significant breakthrough here. And that's the kind of breakthrough God's looking to have with you. He's looking for you to have the breakthrough that he's not an it. He's not impersonal. He is not, uh, or that he is knowable and he is to be in relationship with. This is the separation between Christianity and every other world religion. Re religion religions are... Man-made, and I don't even mean that in a bad way, because a religion is man's attempt to stay in order with God. Nothing wrong with that, right? It's, it's man's attempt to stay in relationship with God, and so you form out of text and other things, you form the way in which to stay in relationship with God. The problem happens when we start worshiping the religion, and we still, and it gets very rote and routine and we start trying to follow all the right things. I don't know if you grew up with a church that followed a liturgy through a lectionary, all right? Anybody do that? You, found, you had a lectionary. No problems with lectionaries, right? Lectionaries, the purpose of a lectionary was, was to take sure, make sure you had the whole counsel of God. Awesome. Until, until the lectionary starts driving things, right? And, and, and then it becomes rote and routine. You know, we offer communion. Each, each Sunday, I, I get people who love it. I get people that question me on it. Um, you know, doesn't that make it routine? I said, no, it makes it what it is. We make it routine or not, right? The communion is communion. If it's, it's roteness or routineness, it's going to come by how we approach it, all right? So Christianity is about a relationship. It's actually knowing the creator of the universe and being in relationship with them. Then all my behavior changes out of my love and devotion to him and what he's given me, not in a manner by which somehow I can earn it or keep myself in line. That's a big difference. See, even when it comes to the word of God, if we treat the word of God as if it's, a rule, if it's rules or instructions, a couple of things are going to, or, or if it's just um, someplace, something to inspire me, it's going to impact how I engage God. Um, if it is rules and instructions, most men aren't going to read it. Ladies, you know this. We're not going to read it. We're going to, we want to figure it out on our own. And only when we really screw it up do we want to go back and find out where exactly we did screw it up. I knew when I was an adult, when I could first start begin, not really adult, I knew that I kind of had, was f financially secure when I bought the, my first piece of furniture, Gene and I, that I didn't have to put together. And I had enough leftover parts I could put, I, I probably could make my own furniture, right, with all the stuff left over. But if we're reading it for rules and instructions, then we're going to keep it at arm's length. If we read it just to be inspired, we're going to skim it and miss the totality of who God is. We're going to miss it. All right? And David is trying to give us his indication here how deeply connected we are to God and how deeply he wants to be connected to us in relationship. Um, 
When he says, you know me when I sit and when I stand, you know, when I do the benediction each, each, each um, Sunday, you know, I'll say, and you're going out, and you're coming in, you're, and you're lying down and you're getting up, you know, all forevermore. It's like, it's not that God's giving a little clicker, Eric stands up, Eric sits down, Eric stands up. Eric. He's using a literary, a literary method here to show us the totality and the complexity and the comprehensiveness of his knowledge of us. So when he knows when we sit down, when we know when he gets up, he said, I, can, I know everything. I know everything about you and who you are and what you're doing, right? So it's a, it's a comprehensive nature. So when I pray that prayer of blessing out of numbers and then I pray that and it's a comprehensive nature. He says, you hem me in, right? And then you lay your hand on me. I want, when I was studying this, it was very interesting. You know, those, we don't always use those terms um, or those terms aren't always used in the positive. Generally used in the negative, right? When you feel hemmed in, you feel closed in. Right, that's when you use, I feel hemmed in, right? Or God saying, you hem me in. What is he saying? Well, two things I believe. One he's saying is I got your six. <laughs> and the other is, you know, if you, if you stray too far, I'm gonna step in, I'm gonna do some sewing. If, if we're in tight relationship, then I want you to know that I, I, I'll come in and I'll hem you in a little bit. And I, this is for your good here now. You need to trust me. Lay your hand on me. Well, we lay hands on people and we pray. That's, a, that's blessing, right? But lay your hand on me isn't always, you know, using that context, don't, you, don't lay your hands on me. Don't you? Right? And so I think he's also, I do this to kids all the time running around. They'll be running around. They'll, I don't like it when they run past me without saying hi or hugging me. All right? So if you see me grab your kid's head, it's because I'm laying hands on them. All right? And I, and I do the first, I go, boop, stop them, turn them, Hi talk to them, right? Turn them back, let them go on about their business, you know? But sometimes I need God to lay hands on me. Boom, look at me. What are you doing? You know I see this, right? All right, there you go, you know? And he's telling, this is how personal the relationship David is saying. He, he's, he's not saying, hey, I love you and I love you in my life and I want you in my life and I, boy, it's so cool to know you because you, know, you just do everything I want you to do and you just let me do everything I want to do. No, he's being very specific. He hems me in, he lays, he lays hands on me. Our fallen, all fallen humanity wants, all, all fallen, fallen humanity wants to be in control. We don't want anybody to tell us, unless it's just me. I want to be in control. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And that's how it works. And that's how we end up working with God. I find it very interesting, even in the, in, even the shepherd sheep role, the pastor role, the, um, the, the congregation role. Everybody loves me until I say no. Right? Until I come to a conclusion someone else doesn't come to. And then it's like, well, who do you think you are? Why would you say this to me? I remember even I was, I was counseling someone and I told them that they didn't want to come to me for counseling. And they said, yes, they did. I said, no, no, you really don't. No, no, I really do. Why, why do you? Well, because I trust you. I said, and yet I'm telling you, you don't want me to counsel you. <laughs> and then after the person went to the person I recommended and about six months later, you were right. Yeah, I knew I was right. I knew you needed him. You didn't need me. Right? But, but all that kind of comes out of this humanity that we want to be in control. We want to make all the decisions. We don't want anybody to tell us to do. And yet, if we're going to be in relationship with God, that happens. But our, our, our response to him doesn't come out of, well, shucks. It's, I trust you. 
It's like, that's what David's trying to illustrate. His knowledge of us is so deep, we can trust him. So then he goes, he goes a little deeper, um, moves from knowledge to presence. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Like someone has already experienced this is how I'm reading it. Like I've made, I've been on the mountaintop and you were there. Man, did I fall. And when I got there, you were there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. I mean, when you show up, you're light. So even if when I get there, it's dark, when I find you, there's light. The night will shine like the day for darkness is a light to you. You know, I said, David, uh, even when our internal spiritual GPS is broken and we find ourselves in places and situations we should not be, he's there. I was a sophomore, I came home from college for a break and um, we're hooking up with some of my old teammates at the quintessential 1980s meetup place was. Anybody remember this? If you're alone? It was the mall. All right, so, so go to the mall to see my high school baseball buddies, which is doubly hilarious. But when we get there, when we get there, they said, hey, Kyle's home, and he's at this bar down, t- uh, down the street, and he wants us all to come over to see him at the bar. Kyle um, was drafted right out of high school uh, t- for the New York Mets farm system. And I mean, our little school between two cornfields in Allentown, New Jersey, and he was getting drafted to pitch for the Mets when they were having Dwight Gooden and Ron Darling and Sid Fernandez. And you'd have to go back and do your research, but they had a lot of talented arms. And so Kyle was the big man on campus, right? And so we we're, all, we're all buddies and he wants, to go to, wants us to meet him at this bar. Well, my friends know I didn't drink and they knew I didn't go to a bar. In fact, they told me years later that they had two, intents for, two um, intentions for me. One was for me to lose my virginity and for, to get me drunk. Um, and that was their, and I mean, these are friends. Some of them are friends today, but they thought that was doing me good, okay? So now I find myself in a predicament and they said, you know, hey, Charlie, come on, Kyle, you know, we don't see Kyle that often. We need to go tomorrow. So I got to all my backbone, my mature Christian, you know, self at age 20 in Bible school. And I said, okay. And, uh, and walking, and they said, well, we'll all ride together. I said, no, 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 I'll drive. That was the only smart thing I did. I said, no, I'll drive. And so I'm driving, and I'm going, oh, God, you have got to get me out of this, right? Like, I have, put, I have stepped in it. This is going to be bad. I know all these things about my friends. This is not going to turn out good, right? It's a lot more than having a beer or being in a bar. This is not going to turn out good. And so I'm driving there, and I go, oh, I'm not 21. I wasn't going to turn 21 for three more weeks. So, I, well, there's my out. So I pull, in, I pull into the bar parking lot. My friends come over because I was still sitting in my car. And they said, why aren't you coming in? And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not 21. They said, well, so this bar never checks ID. And so I got, got that Christian courage back up and said, okay, and rolled my window up and got out of my car, started walking into the bar with them. Well, they told me when I walk in, I walk in one door, and this is where the person that won't check our ID is sitting. And then there's the next door and it takes you into the bar. And I was the last one in line. And sure enough, I'm looking in, nobody there. So I'm like, well, I don't know how this is going to turn out. When I get to the other door, 
this man appears from nowhere around the corner with the deepest voice, or maybe I was just so scared, right? Uh, I need to see your ID. Where do you think you're going? And I went, uh, I don't, I don't have an ID. Well, then you need to leave. And I was like, okay. You know, and so <laughs> the weird part about this story, I don't know if it's weird or not, but it took 15 minutes for one of my friends to come out to look for me. Realized I wasn't there. And then Kyle never comes out to say hi. My, my point here is where I got myself in that mess. Where was God? In the bar. Waiting to bail me out of my mess. If I make my bed in the heavens, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. I, I almost hear David coming to this revelation as he writes this thing. Wow, like, like, there, like there's more of a, of a, of a knowledge, inf, uh, relational download that kind of happens. Um, he goes on to this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. See how deep now he's getting? I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that. There's that word again. No, I have intimate knowledge of this. I know it full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now, I mean, he's really getting deep thinking about, wow, you knew me then. Wait a minute, when did you start knowing me? Well, you had to know me. You had to know me then. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in, in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. How could David know the sum of the thoughts of God? So were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I'm awake, I am still with you. You have not stopped thinking about me. This is, he's, this is all of a revelation coming through David. And this is is our quintessential pro-life passage, isn't it? This is the quintessential reason why the church, Christianity, stands for the unborn. Because they are known and loved by God. This is a sonogram of week 20 of the newest newborn of Gateway. This is, this is um, Clara Jane Cruz, so this is Katie and um, Cameron Cruz's daughter at 20 weeks. Um, this was their sixth child. Katie was in church the week before she gave birth, and she was here Sunday after she gave birth. So mamas, that's your gauntlet right there. Um, I mean, it's amazing. I like going for toes and um, fingers for newborns. Like, if I'm at the hospital to see your child, they're going to cry because I'm going to unswaddle them. I, I'm going I'm to get to the toes. Toes are always fascinating to me. I don't, can't see her toes here, but you can see her nose, can't you? And here's why I want to insert this. From miscarriage to lost pregnancy to abortion, that child was and is known by God. 
No breath here has no bearing on breath with him. And so, yes, do we want to continue to stand for the unborn? Absolutely. I can grieve for the pain that parents go through in that process, but there is hope. Because of Psalm 39, 139. That child is known, known by God. Here are six things the passage also tells us about our intimate connection. Come on, team. That you are not an accident. All God's creation is purposeful. Two, you were known by God before anyone else could have known you. Three, God saw you and he still sees you. He knows you. Four, God has a plan for all your days. Isn't that interesting? I run into so many people. Pastor, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't, I don't know what, why I'm here. I don't know what's in front of me. Um, I, understand, I understand that feeling, but that feeling generally is I want to know. I want to know what's next. It's not necessarily I trust him with what's next. And if I can realize that my, my, my purpose is going to always be to look to him for this day. And when I look to him for this day, he will show me his purpose for me in that day. And then when you think about that in a, in a, in a broader context, I think that's a collaboration with God. That he's put bents in us and there's things that we do and develop and believe that he guides this process and here becomes this molding, this co-creating with God about, about his plan for me. And I think when we're always open for what's next with him or, or, or where I shouldn't step because he's not leading me, I, I've, I have a hard, I have a, what's the best way to say this? I have a core conviction that he won't let me miss it. The only time I've missed God is when I've determined to do something without asking God, not because I didn't hear him. Sometimes my hearing is hearing. Don't do that. Other times my hearing is it's not working. God has personal thoughts for you about you that are not numerically calculable. And David's the one who makes that assessment. Your, your thoughts for me outnumber the sands on the sea. That's his assessment. That's the best way he could put it. When you go to sleep, God is thinking of you when you wake up. He's still thinking about you. You are never out of his mind. You are never alone. I understand loneliness. I under, understand not intimate knowledge. I understand loneliness. I understand depression. I, I understand these are real. I understand that you have, there, there are real things that we have to deal with. Um, I never, I never experienced loneliness that I could put my finger on and call it that until my father died. And my father died second, so I lost my mom and dad. Now that, and, and I felt lonely. It was the first time that I could actually articulate that I was feeling lonely and what it was. And it didn't, it didn't make any logical sense because of having a wife and a daughter in a church. Why was I feeling lonely? And when I chased that down, it was because 
they had always been a constant. So even when I wanted to do my own thing, I could bounce it off of them, right? And so there was, there was always, they were always that constant. And then that constant was gone and that's why I felt lonely. When you read Psalm 139, there should come a time as a believer that we realize that's our constant. He's our constant. And so while I understand the emotions of lonely, and I understand the emotions of anxiousness and anxiety, where, where God wants to bring us to is he is our constant. And there isn't anything in this situation that you find yourself in that he has, doesn't have intimate knowledge of. And he's got you. And it might not be the outcome for that instance what we want. But we want him. And trust him with those outcomes. Here's how the passage finishes. By this time, David now is feeling so close to God. My assessment is he's wanted to demonstrate to God that he's got God's back. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are rebelling against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. I, I read that as, God, I got your back on this one. Like he needs us. But it's a nice emotional tie. But then he ends. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way and lead me in the way of everlasting. All right, so notice the transition. He goes from intimate knowledge of God, he goes into this recognition of, boy, God's everywhere, everywhere. And then he even knew me before anybody could know me. He's put me together. And he ends with, out of out of that understanding, now I've come to the place, God, that I want absolutely no barriers between you and I. Whatever is in here that I know or don't know that is blocking, inhibiting, um, retarding my intimacy with you that on my end, if you will just show me, I will do everything in my power to get it out of the way. And he comes to that conclusion at the end of all of this intimate acknowledgement where now he feels safe again to be vulnerable, to be known. Lord, the things that I'm hiding, I want you to know. The decisions, attitudes, thoughts that I harbor, I want you to know those. There isn't any of me I don't want you to know. Now you say, well, pastor, you've already said he knows all that. Yeah, but we always make our, trick ourselves to believe that he doesn't. And it's not until he knows they're there, but it's not until we open the door can he work with us on that. Because he doesn't go tear doors down. He only goes through doors we open for him. So in our response time, with all that Psalm 139 has, I don't know what peace that you need to gravitate to, but there is a challenge to get to the end and say, Lord, if there's anything 
from me feeling lonely to being anxious, things that are barring my trust of you, things that I'm keeping hidden from you. My prayer today was that you would come to the conclusion that you want in this moment to just say, show me, Lord. Show me, Lord. And if there's stuff that you're carrying today, you can leave and leave without carrying it. So as always, communion is open to my left and right. It's a sacrament of, it is probably the sacrament of presence, right? Of, of receiving the, the, the blood and the body of Christ. Um, maybe that's your response today. Maybe you're chasing your own Goliath and you need some, you know, borrow some courage, borrow some faith. Someone, you can always come to the front for altar. Someone will be here to pray for you. Um, can't outline all the scenarios that the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart, but, but so that's why I've always landed on the end of movement matters, okay? Movement matters. Do something. Do something. Stand for me for uh, prayer before we sing again. Father, thank you for your word, for David. Um, what from the outside looks like a complicated relationship from the inside, Lord, it wasn't all that complicated. At the end of David's life, you still doubled down on what you said at the beginning, that he was a man after your own heart. Lord, I believe there are men and women, students in this room, Lord, that they wanna be known as men and women after your own heart. So Father, today, do the work that you do in us. And I pray as we're vulnerable for you, Lord, um, do that surgery, do that healing in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.